Well, good morning, guys. It's a nice sunny day out there, isn't it? This early in the morning. <laughs> good job on remembering the time change. Props to you guys. Yeah. We kind of cheat nowadays, don't we, with our phones? I know. It's not like the olden days where you had to be responsible. It's good. Um, we have a lot of announcements this morning, so I'm going to share with those with you guys. A lot of great information, uh, neat things to be encouraged by, and uh, yeah, we can also be praying for our pastor. He's spending time with his family right now. Uh, his sister's getting married, so pretty exciting time for them, and uh, should be back, I think, this next week, hopefully. Didn't tell me any different, so unless the rapture happens, right? Then I hope I'm gone, too. <laughs> all right, so first of all, Thank you so much for all your guys' donations last week for the Ukraine. Uh, that was awesome. So with the church and with what you guys gave, we're able to send $7,700 to them. Yeah, it's awesome, guys. So praise God for that. If you guys still want to make donations to that, absolutely, we'll send those. Um, I'll, I'll try to find some uh, envelopes for you and get those to you. So just a cool thing. I appreciate you guys, and, and you're just giving hearts. It's awesome. So... Also, uh, Bev has her new um, update out there. If you guys want to grab that, it's right underneath the map out here. And you guys can go through that, be encouraged by what's going on there in uh, Africa, and be praying for her and the ministry that's going on there. And she will be coming back soon uh, for a little bit of time from the States, so you can keep her in prayer there. And uh, just the whole ministry that the Lord preserves it and keeps it going in the direction it needs to be going. So it's a good thing. Maybe you guys were handed one of these on the way in. You look familiar? All right. Well, you got left out, Bill. Sorry. <laughs> so we have a marriage and family mini conference that's coming up. Um, it's going to be March 26th, $10 per couple, um, and we'll have lunch and child care provided. What it'll be is Sean's going to go through. We're going to talk about there's two great books. We'll have those out there, Love and Respect as far as your marriage and then Shepherding a Child's Heart. And we'll go through two different sessions, teach through those, and then have a panel discussion uh, question Q&A um, with uh, some of the different couples in the church, um, some of the leadership. So it be an awesome time. Really encourage you guys to come and be a part of that. Uh, we'll do that the first part, and then after we'll have lunch. And then after that, we're going to separate and have a men's and women's groups and be able to go over some of the stuff we've discussed. So great time to come together and uh, strengthen your marriages. This is not one of those things that, hey, if you guys are in trouble that you come to, this is, this is encouraging. This is something that comes and helps build up. So don't feel like, hey, we're in an emergency, we need to come. Absolutely, if you are, come. But I want to make sure you guys know it's not just for that, okay? We want everybody to come, be strengthened in their marriage and how they're raising their children too. And uh, that's what our heart behind it is for the women's and men's ministry. All right, so your guys' bulletin there. The rest of the announcements are on that one. So remember that the men's retreat is changed, and I'm excited about it. We get to go with all the other Calvary chapels in Colorado. It's going to be an awesome time. And uh, I'll have more information for you guys. I think it's March 16th is when they're sending me all of uh, the information on that, the, the sign-up, all that. Um, we'll get it going. We do have a sign-up out there right now at the information desk. If you guys want to go ahead and get signed up, if you guys have any questions, come and see me. Um, the cost is going to be $175. It's a three-day deal, two-night deal. Um, and it's going to be up at Crooked Creek uh, Young Life Camp, which is a beautiful camp up there. A little ways away, but we can do that, you know, good car trip together. Um, we're going to be taking a van up there. If you guys don't want to drive yourselves, we're all going to meet here, and we'll take a van or two, however many we need. So be a great time to be with you guys and be encouraged as we go up there. And then we already went over the marriage and family mini conference. The next one is, is the Good Friday worship service. I uh, hope you guys can come and join us. That's going to be April 15th at 6 p.m. here at the church. Just have a nice time of worship, and uh, Pastor Jeff's going to give us a nice little devotional. That would be awesome to hear from him. And we'll have a little, uh, some snacks and stuff like that to be able to fellowship together. So that's a good Friday, April 15th. And Okay, so only hymns. Have you guys been looking forward to hymns? That's tonight, okay? All right, thank you. And then uh, our Easter morning service is what we've decided to do here. We're going to have an outdoor sunrise-ish, okay? <laughs> sunrise, I think, is around 622 is what we looked up on it. And so we're going to do it at 7, all right? Spare you guys a little bit. No excuses then. Um, but we're doing it outside. We're going to have fun. Um, go outside, do it in our amphitheater for that first service. We want to be outside. Um, kind of, you know, just remembering what happened that morning uh, as the women went to the tomb, being outside. And so it would be a great time to come together as a church and go through that. 
um, and celebrate that day of our, our Savior rising from the dead. And then the second service that we'll have will be indoors. Um, that'll be at 9.30. We don't know what the weather's going to look like. You guys know a couple years ago, we did an outside service in our cars and everything, and it ended up being a blizzard. Pretty awesome. <laughs> it was good for everybody in their cars, right? <laughs> yeah, poor Debbie and the worship team and Sean were up there getting blasted, but appreciate their, their suffering for us. So, yeah, we'd love for you guys to join us on that day. Um, the second service, the indoor service, will have child care. Okay? The first one will not. And then also I hope to, uh, uh, I did, this wasn't on there, um, but we, with the children's ministry, we want to get all the kids together for a little Easter egg hunt um, with the parents after the uh, last service. So we're excited about that and would love for the parents to come and join their children. Uh, we'll probably have to do it. We're still t- trying to figure out if outdoor or indoor. Um, either it's going to be over here in the playground or it's going to be out here in the uh, amphitheater. So just something fun for the kids to do. And uh, that, yeah, parents can have fun with the kids. So, and then we have our youth going sixth grade through 12th grade. So our middle school and high school are going ice skating on March 18th, 530 to 10. I mean, awesome time. Pray for the leaders, please, as they head out over to Pueblo and take the kids out to dinner and, and have a lot of fun with them. So um, if you guys are interested in that, you guys can see Paul. <clears throat> and then uh, you have all the information there, the phone number and RSVP. He needs to know how many people are going to be going on that uh, so he's ready for the rides that are needed, all right? And then we're almost done. <laughs> the Bridge Bash, uh, the Survivor theme is coming up April 9th. You guys can still buy tickets. That's another one you guys can see Paul on. Uh, it's going to be 6 to 9. encourage you guys uh, to encourage other people to be able to come to that, to come and support the ministry that we have down there, be a part of it, see what the kids go through. Um, each night, how much fun they get to have, and just what our heart behind it is. And uh, it's also a fun night where you get to bid for different prizes. People have uh, donated a bunch of stuff to the bridge, and uh, you have some games and some good food. So you guys could join us. That is uh, $25 each, and uh, you guys can either get tickets here. Touch of Love has tickets, and I think also uh, what used to be the Reed Agency downtown, the um, insurance right there across from the bridge has tickets as well. All right, then, super exciting news. This one's not on there. So, first service, guys, you're, you're nice, spaced out, right? It's good, good in here. Well, if you guys have been to second service, it's getting pretty plugged up. And uh, we're having a hard time uh, finding space for everybody. Usually what happens is that uh, it is, uh, when you get to a capacity of about 80%, usually people will stop coming or just turn around and leave because it's, it's kind of awkward to sit in between people or to try to grab the one seat and spread your family out. So... We've been holding off for a while. Um, you guys know that we're looking for another building, or maybe even to build, but we have to do something in the meantime. So May 7th is the first Saturday that we will start having Saturday night services. Exciting. Yes, we're excited about it. It's going to be awesome. It's good to have the growth. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. We did some research in town, and we're going to be the only ones that have a Saturday night service. So that'll be able to help out other people. You guys know there's a lot of shift people. Maybe even that's you. And that'll really help out and, and be able to include other people that aren't able to join us on Sunday morning. So we're really excited about it. Now, with that, you guys know adding a whole other service on another day um, takes a lot of people. And I am so appreciative of you guys. You guys are awesome. And there are so many people in our church that volunteer. And so it's hard to ask for more. But the thing is, is this is not just, you know, like the Sean show. This is not the Curtis show. This is not just our leadership. Guys, this is our church together. We come together as a church. I have a job here just to teach the word. We have to have other people that are supporting and teaching the children, that are there for worship, that are there for these other ministries, for security, for hospitality. And so again, we're asking you guys, please, if you've been thinking about it, we'd love you to be a part of one of those ministries. Um, We've really been getting it all organized. It seems like it's flowing really well. Uh, A lot of the frustrations have left. And so streamlining everything's been great. And we ask that you guys would please Come alongside of us again and help support us in being able to give this the community this Saturday night service. So we are going to have children's ministry that night. We'll have a little children's church, not exactly the same as the other. We'll have hospitality. We need greeters that night. Security, of course. Um, If you guys need to know of any of these ministries or ask who the leaders are, please come and see me and I will direct you into that. And then especially worship. So if any of you guys have been hiding in the background and you guys can play an instrument, um, please see Debbie, because that's going to be one of the hardest things is having the worship for three services. And so um, please go and talk to her if you guys know how to play the cajon, um, play the guitar, anything. Probably not the kazoo, right? No? Okay. 
No tamarines or kazoos, okay? <laughs> if you guys can sing and, and would like to be a part of that, it's not a guarantee. I mean, of course, we want to we wanna make sure this is the Lord's bringing into each ministry. So um, please see Debbie, and uh, she'd love to talk to you about that and see where your heart is and uh, how we could go forward in the future. But exciting, guys, right? So 5.30 Saturday night starting May 7th is when we're going to do this. So cool. You guys ready to get into it? Okay, I tried to avoid this book as I was going through it for the last, I don't know, four weeks, and I kept trying to go away from it or just pull something awesome out of that book because it does have some great things. I did not want to go through the whole book because it is a hard book. So we're going to go through Jude this morning. I couldn't get away with it, and I just kept feeling like the Lord wanted us to go through this. It is a very um, straightforward book. Jude lays it out very clearly, and uh, it is an awesome book. There's a lot of background here a lot of history that he's, he's applying um, the word to. And uh, so we're going to go through that. And hopefully we'll have enough time to get through it all and uh, um, just be blessed by it. And so the message this morning is contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. And Jude. Appropriately put right before Revelation. Now, if you guys have ever gone through Jude, which it is a very rare book, I mean, you, sometimes we skip over it and maybe just hit verse 3 or at the very end and kind of skip what's in the middle of there. But it's going, basically, it's talking about is warning believers against the false teachers, against people that are going to come in and try to deceive. And especially as the tra- time grows closer, right? Jesus Christ even said that himself in Matthew 24. Be careful, there's going to be a bunch of people trying to sneak in and take your liberty, Right? Take the grace, distort it. And that's exactly what Jude is going to go through. And also, if you guys have ever been in Second Peter, he does the same thing in chapter 2. They're actually almost uh, word for word on some of the things. Some guys believe that either Peter copied Jude or Jude copied Peter, or they may have even copied off of another document because it goes right through it and is very close to each other. And uh, we'll hit a little bit on that this morning, but you guys can go and look at it. And that's Second Peter chapter 2. It lines right up with Jude. So... When my kids were growing up, we lived in a place that everything tried to kill you. The snakes were super poisonous. They called a three-step, it was a terciopella, and you had three steps to live. It was a very poisonous snake, and you had to watch out on the trails. And the funny thing about it is it never hit the first person. It always get the second person. And they were super defensive. And so it was a very scary thing. We had to watch on the trails. The caterpillars, you guys ever been around a caterpillar is dangerous? Okay, they were dangerous there. <laughs> I know, pretty harsh, right? There was these ones that were just these fuzzballs. And of course, every little kid would want to go grab one. It was either very yellow or it was very white and just looked like this puffball. But their hairs would come off and sting you. And it was like having, uh, it was one of the worst things you could ever go through. And some people are allergic and they die from it. Uh, one of the pastors down there, he put his hand in a glove and got stung by one. And, and he says that for three days it hurt. Um, and it bad. Well, my little girl grabbed one of them one time. Pretty awful. Um, the, everything there, it was just super dangerous. Especially, they had poisonous plants there. And I usually don't use my kids as an example when I teach because I don't want to embarrass them or have you guys go up and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. So, I won't give any names, but there's only four of them, so you can try to guess. <laughs> but I had one child that just loved to eat everything under the sun. That kid, we were out there like, stop eating everything, a sand the key, she had to eat it. She had the best immune system ever, but she would eat sand. She would go out there and eat all these different plants, get into everything, the hibiscus, the, you know, usually you eat mangoes, but she'd eat the leaves and the mango and the bark, and she just loved to put everything in her mouth and actually eat it. And it was dangerous. It was scary because there, there were poisonous plants that could either kill her or harm her. And it was always trying to watch, and, and you couldn't keep your eyes on her. I mean, her whole backyard had dangerous things in the back of it. And uh, I remember one time, if you guys have ever seen those little Tabasco peppers, oh, she got into those. It was bad. Her whole face swole up. If you ever had them, they're super potent, right? They're very potent, and they just light you on fire right away. We had to get some sour cream and you know, get all over her face and try to bring some of that heat off of her and that swelling. It kind of cured her for a little bit, I think for a month, <laughs> and she's right back at it, but... It was always, I was watching, and my wife was watching her especially, that we were watching on what she would consume. And I think that very much applies to this message. This is what God has for us. In watching, what are we consuming? 
What are we getting? What are we listening to? And what are we giving our ear to? And that's why Jude, when he's going to go through this, is he wants to just talk a normal story, you know, wants to give encouragement to the people and say, hey, I want to talk about a common salvation that we have together, but instead I felt the need to exhort you that you need to watch out for these people. You need to watch out for all these poisonous things that are around here, all the things that could kill your faith, to rob you of God's love. And so let's get into it and let's go and read and see what Jude has for uh, the people here. So verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. Lord, as we just dive into your word this morning, I pray you just use me, fill me with your spirit. Lord, we can learn awesome things from your word as we always do as we open it up. It's all just right there, and so I pray you just give us that gift this morning. Lord, if we need conviction and, and returning to you, that you call us out for the carnality of the may that we've dived into and, and uh, displeased you in, Lord. We're so thankful that your mercy is new every single day, and we can come back to you on that. Pray for those around us, Lord, that we could be witnesses to them. Our family members that have turned aside and want nothing to do with you, Lord, I pray that you continue to send people in their lives. Continue just to torture their minds at night, that they would not find peace in the things that they've involved themselves into they'd find peace in you, Lord, that they would turn back to you or they would turn to you for the first time. And Lord, just strengthen us as we go through this as you did the church back in Jude's time. And uh, Lord, that we'd be pleasing and a sweet-smelling aroma to you and uh, that we would contend for the faith like you've called us to. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. So Jude, he was the half-brother of Jesus. This is Jude here. Now, it's interesting because how does he introduce himself? He says, I'm the bondservant, right, of Jesus Christ. He doesn't pull ranks and say, hey, I was brothers with Jesus, so you guys need to listen up. Instead, he wants everybody to recognize his place with Jesus. Not his blood relation with Jesus, his place with him. And he says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Which is so interesting because the guy did not believe in Jesus. Did you know that? He didn't believe he was the Messiah. Both him and James, right? Everybody in their household was just like, man, that guy's nuts. The one time they tried to go rescue him because they're like, here he is at it again, saying his stuff, trying to be all wise. <laughs> and they try to go rescue him, right? And Jesus is like, hey, you know, they're all, hey, your brother and your mother are out there trying to get your attention. He's like, hey, you guys are my brothers and my mothers, so we're all good. This is all family here. Saying his things, and, and it's so neat that Jude finally, after the resurrection, you know, talks about, you know, he went, Jesus went to James' brother that he's talking about here, and then some of the others, and we believe that Jude is one of those. And Jude was convinced then that Jesus Christ, of course, was the Messiah. And that's when Jude had to be around in his late 20s and maybe his early 30s. Uh, he, we, they believe he's one of the younger ones. Um, he's younger than James. And of course, they're younger than Jesus, Jesus being the firstborn of them. And so, interesting what he declares as and what he wants to be identified as as far as where his life is with Jesus Christ. And he doesn't try to pull ranks or, or do any of that. Then he says he's brother of James. He didn't want to get confused because there's another Jude or Judas um, this name is in, in Hebrew is Judah, and then in Greek it's Judas, and then they didn't want to kind of mix it up because it's just like people nowadays don't name their kid Judas, so, right? Because they don't want to mix them up with Judas Iscariot. And so they call him Jude, but there was also another Jude that was with the disciples, but he was the son of James, okay? So it was different. That's why he's distinguishing here that he's brother of James. Then it goes on, and this letter is not just an, it's not a, a letter for evangelism. It's not something that's trying to call out to the world. It's to the believers. It's to the believers, and we know that because it says to those who are called, right, is one of them. Those that are sanctified by God the Father. Beloved is another version, maybe your Bible says. And then they are preserved in Jesus Christ. So clearly, this is him writing to believers, and so he's going to go through it, and he's going to call out, and he's going to warn them of a bunch of creepers, these guys that want to come in and distort or want to make God's grace into lewdness, destroy it. So he goes on, and, and he says in verse 2, mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. And it's kind of like Paul's thing where he would talk about grace and peace to you. And so he says mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. And I like how he says there, he doesn't just say added to you. It's not something that's just added on to your life, but it's something that's multiplied. These little small key words, they're, they're interesting when you use them, especially when you have such a short letter. It's so neat to dive in and see those little bit of words there that, and what he's meaning to the people. So he's saying, let this be multiplied among you. Not just something you can add on to your life, but it'll be multiplied among you. 
And then he moves on in one of my favorite verses where he says, contend earnestly for the faith. In verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, he wants to write them a nice letter, doesn't he? Just talk about regular things, what it is to be a part of the salvation, what it is to be a part of Jesus Christ. And instead he's like, I felt the need though, I found it necessary. This is something I have to do with you guys to write to, exhorting you in the contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and, all, once and for all delivered to the saints. So let's break this down. There's some very important things that are going on here and what he says and how he sets up this letter. Because he's not going to talk to them directly until we come back over in verse 20. And it's interesting how he broke up this as I was going through and studying it. He takes a break and he basically goes off and he says, this is why I want you to contend earnestly for the faith. It's because here's what these people are. They're no good. They've been around in history. Let me show you all the different stories. They're like these people. They're like Cain, Balaam. They're like Korah. And we'll go through all that. They, they, they were like the people in Egypt. And I want you to see this. I want you to recognize them. And I want you to also know they're not getting away with it. There is going to be a punishment for them in deciding to bring this grace to lewdness like they've done. And so contend earnestly. And he goes through, talks about this, and then he comes back to talking to them in verse 20 through 23. And he describes how do you contend for the faith. He gets practical, which I always love in the scriptures when they get practical. Because for me, when somebody says to do something, contend earnestly for the faith, I'm like, okay, what does that look like? Like, what, my life, what does that mean? I'm going to go out there and I'm putting on some gloves and we're going to go at it with everybody, right? If you disagree with me, we're going to fight. Is that what is, what is the practicality behind this? What does he want us to do and what does the Christian life look like? And so he's going to get to that. But first he needs to go through and describe who to watch out for and also to remark on they're not going to get away with what they've done. They're not going to get away with it. And so exhorting them. He found it necessary, it needed to be done, exhorting them or us to contend earnestly for the faith. Now the contend, that word there, interesting word because in the Greek it's associated with sports. And specifically it's represented in wrestling. To contend, to wrestle with, and you know, takes, if you guys know anything about wrestling, right, I know you do, we talked about it yesterday. Wrestling is a lot of hard work. If you guys have ever been in wrestling, they love to torture you in wrestling. The coaches, they, I don't know, they just get, you get a kick out of it. So Nathaniel, they, hey, when I was uh, in wrestling, like, they'd push us until we would throw up. If you didn't, you were in trouble. Like, that was your practice. They wanted you to be so disciplined and so ready for the competition to go up against, ready to contend. It was very hard. Well, he's not saying here, like, hey, keep going until you guys throw up. But he's saying, push hard. It takes a lot of hard work and discipline and that's what we need to do is contend. Get in there and get ready. It's going to be hard. You're going to need endurance to do it. And then earnestly is it with the meaning of the purpose. There's a purpose behind it. It's very pointed. I'm going to contend for this. And what does he say? I'm going to contend for the faith. And it's not like your faith as far as your faith being built up. It's not talking about that. It's not your faith that God helps to develop in you and you believe in him more and you trust him more. It's saying the faith. Right? So the faith, the gospel, and you can especially know that because it says, which was once and all delivered to the saints. So that gospel message, that truth of who Jesus Christ is, who we are in him, grace, that is the faith that it's talking about that was delivered, and it was once and for all to the saints, right? Not something that needs a completion to it, not something that needs another book added to it, not anything else, not another prophecy that comes along and says this is, this is an explanation of you know, a bigger picture of what he really meant. No, once and for all is delivered to the saints. And in the Greek here, when you look at contend earnestly, what it's in is in the tense that it's in is a present infinitive. And if you guys know Greek, if you've ever gone through some classes, which I'm sure all of you have, right? <laughs> what, that, what that means is that, um, that present infinitive, it's like an ongoing uh, continuation and action. So it's not saying contend in the faith once. Like when you come to the, cro the cross the first time, you're contending for the faith, you give your life over, that's it. No, what it's talking about here in the Greek is this is a continuous thing. This is your life. 
Jude is saying, through your life, in the Christian life, you need to contend for the faith. That's a hard saying because a lot of us, including myself, would much rather just live the life of the Lord, have him change me, and every once in a while, if I need to encourage somebody or exhort them, I'm okay with that. But if I have to call somebody out, <laughs> I don't like confrontation. I don't know why he put me up as, a, as an associate pastor, because that's like one of the biggest jobs an associate pastor is to kind of be a blocker for the pastor and have confrontation. It's a very hard thing, but Jude is going to say here, it needs to be done. It needs to be done. And I know for a lot of us, it's very hard. It's Even in the world that we live in, they're like, don't be contentious against other people. Don't bring up things. Don't try to battle other people. Just let them live like they want to. They're not hurting anybody. If somebody's going to come in and talk bad, you know, kind of, nobody's going to listen to them. If they have another truth, they're coming into the church. I mean, we all know each other here. You don't have to worry about what they're saying. Just let them say their things. No, Jude is very clear in that we're going to have to contend for the faith. He's saying stand up for the truth. Stand up for what's right. And it's not so that we can have this pride as if, hey, I'm right, you're wrong. You need to follow after my religion because your religion is horrible. No, it's because you're fighting for their life. You're fighting to show them that this is the truth. This is what true grace is. Don't rob it. Don't either go to the one side of legalism, which we see Paul always going against and contending for the faith, right? And trying to avoid that, that legalism that the Judaizers are bringing in. And now you have Jude going to the other side saying, hey, don't let people all of a sudden get carnal with their grace. Don't let them abuse the grace that they've been given. Turn it into lewdness. And so we contend earnestly once for that faith that was once and all delivered to the saints. Something that now we have in our hands, right? This is what we've been given through the saints. This is what we go back to. This is what grows us. This is what helps us to guide us into the truth, understand and the living word of God growing us up in the faith. All right. Now, for certain man, and this is why, the for right there could also be because. So contend for the faith because certain men or for certain men have crept in unnoticed. The creepers, right? Now, usually when somebody comes in and they're a creeper, you're like, okay, that guy's weird or that girl's weird. Mm, let's kind of get to know them and see what they're about. You know, there's different protocols that we have here. We really watch out. We want to protect the sheep. The thing is, is this says they creeped in unnoticed. So it's somebody that is not out there and just the straight-up weirdo, right? Sometimes you're like, okay, that, that person's got problems, or they're a threat to us, or there's something going on, or they're just like out there just telling about how wrong you are and going off about it. He's warning against somebody that looks very smooth, comes in and, and has good words, and wow, this person's really enlightened. I really like what they're at. I like, I like how they, you know, they say things. It's just so good. It's so rich. That's what he's describing He's saying, be careful with these guys that have crept in, crept into the assembly, crept into the church, who long ago were marked out for the condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. And now, this lewdness is not what the term is turned into nowadays. It's very much nowadays, lewdness is connected with sexual, um, uh, an inappropriate sexual urge or desire or actually action. That's how it's defined now. Lewdness in the Greek is aselegia, which means unbridled lust, excess, or without restraint. Okay? So going in and using God's grace and having no restraint on your life. I like this sin, and therefore I'm going to do it. I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm without restraint. I have the grace of God. You guys have the grace of God, so you know what? He'll give you more grace. Paul even said, hey, if you know sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So, And we know later on Paul contends that because some people were like, okay, that means you can sin as much as you want. You can take grace to lewdness. And he, of course, Paul says, absolutely not. That is no way. That is not relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Jude is talking about these guys here. These are the ones that are coming in and taking the grace of God and saying, you can do what you want. You're free. You have liberty. Go off and do whatever you feel like. Now, you guys may have been around other different religions and um, talked with other people involved in different religions, and maybe even you have the thought, like 51% of Americans in 2016, they took a poll that said in churches, Christians, 51%, over half, believe that when people worship in other religions, mainly Islam, 
And uh, I can't remember the other one. Let me see. If, we'll see if it comes up real quick. I put it on here. Um, okay, 51% of evangelicals agree with the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 51%. Now, this is, this is the, the creeper coming in the church and saying this is how it is. And people not saying, no, that's not how it is. People not standing up. People saying, stop, you can't do that here. And sometimes somebody is just misled, so it's not like all of a sudden we grab them and haul them out. But if it gets to that place where the person will not stop and say, you're right, I was wrong, here is the word of God and it's corrected me, they are. God tells us, get them out. They're not supposed to be in there. So 51%, this is even crazier. The number is up from the 49% who agreed in 2016 survey. Additionally, 60% agreed with the statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion and is not about objective truth. 60% of evangelicals. So it was done in 2018 by, a, uh, I don't know the name of it, Ligoner Ministry Survey. So I don't know how many people, I didn't get it, I couldn't find it, but I didn't see how many people they actually interviewed. But out of the ones they did, 60% believe that. And we know in different parts of the country it can even be more, right? As, as this, this thought coming in of, I don't want to go away from what anybody else is saying, I, I, I just want to have the peace with everybody. Well, Judah's saying, we can't have that, guys. You've got to be very careful. This is the word of God. This is something that's so important, the faith. Grace of God is important to stand up for. Now he's going to go into and he's going to describe what these people look like. Okay? And he's also going to describe that they're not escaping punishment. Of course, we know if they repent and come to Jesus Christ, that's the only way they're getting out of it. But if they're going to keep in their ways, they're not. They're going to be in the wrath of God. And this is sad, and this might touch some of you because this might be even people that you know that you've seen and you can think of right away. But, in verse 5, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We'll stop there. He gives us three different examples, doesn't he? Three different proofs from history, as he said. That these guys, you know, when he, in verse 4 where he says these men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. So he's going to talk about this is what happens. When you go this way, this is what ends up happening. So the first example he uses is the unbelievers from Egypt, right? There's another verse I want you guys to turn over to in Psalms 95. Just short, concise, just gives a little blip on what God thought of his people, the ones that didn't believe that he had rescued from Egypt. Psalms 95. Verse 10 and 11, it says, For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 40 years he was grieved with them. And they, he said that there are people who go astray in their hearts. That's what happens with these guys. These false teachers, those that follow after them, they go astray in their hearts. That's that first example. The second one is he goes, and it's very interesting. Jude, the guy, he goes into some stuff, very deep theology in just his short little letter. So now he's all of a sudden going to jump over to the angels. And he's going to refer back to the angels and what happened in Genesis. He says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day, of the great day. That's in Genesis 6, 1 and 2. And if you guys remember, it says that the sons of God came down and had relations with the women, and then there was the, the giants that came from it. And it distorted God's creation. Now, guys, I don't know exactly how that was. Okay, I don't know if angels can actually in themselves come and do that or if they had to uh, possess somebody to end up doing that. We don't know. It's just a short two verses in the Word of God. We do know that it was a sexual sin that was going on because of the next verse that follows when it relates it to Sodom and Gomorrah because it says, as these were. 
referring back to the angels. And so that's where we get that. That's where we get the proof of that's what it was going on and, and what had happened. And most likely that's why God had to take just eight people, save them from the world, and destroy it because now the creation had been corrupted through the fallen angels. So let's read real quick 6 in Judah. It says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. They had a huge consequence to pay. Because they had turned away from God, and where they had been, they'd, they were face to face with God, and they chose to leave, and they got locked up in chains. Locked up in chains, and we know in Revelation it talks about that these guys are going to be let out, right, to torture humans again. So these are the bad of the bad. These are the worst of the worst, as far as the demons are concerned, that they're locked up for this time. Um, over in, like I said, you guys can also look at the parallel in um, 2 Peter 2. Because it also goes through these guys and gives a little bit different saying on it and uses different words. So if you want to go over there, you guys can check that out too and uh, see as he describes them. And now the next one, he goes on to the third example. It says, The Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, the cities around them in similar manner to these. Similar manner to these is talking about the angels. Okay, Same as the uh, similar manner to the angels. These having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And we know Sodom and Gomorrah, their main outward sin that they were known for was their practice in sexuality. They were just promiscuous in everything, including homosexuality, right? We know that from the scriptures. It's very clear that that's what they were. The angels came to get Lot out of the town, and those guys wanted to come in and have relations with those, those angels, I mean, it's very clear. You can't get around. There's a lot of critics that are trying to push around that and say that's not what it's about. We also have to look, though, in Ezekiel. um, And I don't know if I wrote it down. I didn't. So if you guys want to see me afterwards, I'll give you that that scripture. Sorry, I thought I wrote it down. Oh, I did. It's right here. Ezekiel 16, 49. He talks about more of what was going on there in Sodom and Gomorrah and what sins they had. They sinned of pride. They were idle, right? Um, They were gluttons. And uh, that's what it points to. But we know that the heart is wicked, right? Just like it said with the people in Egypt, their hearts are turned against me. And that byproduct of that is a sin that comes in, isn't it? And so they got to be known for their sin and their disgusting ways and what they turned themselves into and even sinning against themselves. We know sexual sin is against your own self. A horrible place, and their consequence was that they're completely wiped out, right? The eternal fire took them out and the cities around them. What is very interesting with each one of these is that they had the Lord, they had um, provision from him, they had a great place that they were in. Sodom and Gomorrah was the most beautiful place. It was like Eden is described, like when Lot and Abraham, they divided up, and Lot's like, I want that place over there, that looks beautiful. Tons of resources, we know that they were a very wealthy people. I mean, if you can sit around with idleness, you're doing pretty good. Like, they were known for being a very rich place. They had everything they wanted, all the material stuff that they needed. You look at the angels, before God, right? In heaven. And they decided to walk against it. Here it is, relating these guys back to these different things, and they had everything they could ever want, and yet they walked away from it. Like we have, sorry. <laughs> Just getting you awake. <laughs> like we have the Lord and everything that he's given us, Lord, you guys, and then we decide to walk against him or to turn against him or want nothing to do with him. Going back into that, that bondage, like with the angels getting put in those chains, it's a sad place to go. He says, these people are like that. Their end is coming. Their end is coming. And then he moves on and he says in verse 8, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So three different things. Dreamers that defile the flesh. Dreamers being not that they had a lot of dreams that they wanted to aspire to or any of that, but actually like more of the false. I have a dream about this. This is what this means. But being uh, false teachers, false prophets in that. Um, and then going on and defile the flesh. Again, talking about sexual sin. Um, rejected authority. And we're going to see that in just a little bit as he goes through that. Um, the next people at the very bottom in, in verse 11. And they speak evil of dignitaries. Now, dignitaries were, it'd be like a Moses or Jacob or uh, even people in the church that were high up. The people that God had used in those ways, these guys were coming in, these false teachers, to put them down. To speak against them. And that's why he goes in, and it can kind of get confusing if you don't have that context, because the next part he goes into Michael the archangel. And this is another one of those that Jude just like drops another bomb. Archangel, you know, fighting against the devil, not fighting against the devil. What is all this? Like, <laughs> just one little verse. He goes, yet Michael, in verse 9, the archangel, 
in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. It's the only time we ever see this. We don't know what was going on with this whole body of Moses. A lot of speculation, you know, and what the devil was trying to do there. But it, the point that Jude is making is that these guys are so off base that they're mocking these dignitaries, and even the angels don't go there. Even the angels don't go there. I think it's even clearer if you guys turn over to Second Peter 2. Um, verse 10. This kind of goes a lot right along with it, but I like how it says that it, it kind of clears it up for us a little bit better. And it says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority, they are uh, presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So it's just saying even the, even the angels know better than to do that. That's not something you go to. But these guys are so foolish that they do that. And that's why it goes into the next verse and it says, but these, in verse 10, sorry, of Jude, if you flip back over there. Verse 10, he says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. They don't know anything about these dignitaries. They're just out there spouting and, and you know, basically taking them out of their position of authority. They hate authority. And whatever they n- know naturally, so they're basically they're trying to look spiritual, but all they have is their flesh to go off of. And they're like an animal, is what it says. They're like beasts. Like nothing. There's nothing there. Going on this natural, like brute beasts. And these things, they corrupt themselves. Trying to have this holiness, trying to have this spirituality, and they're mocking these dignitaries. They're going off. They hate authority. And what are they doing? They're corrupting themselves. Woe to them, right? Verse 11, woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now it gives us three different people here, these three examples of what they were like. First is Cain. We know Cain. I hope you guys do. You've heard Cain and Abel. What ended up happening between them is they brought sacrifices to the Lord, and whose did the Lord rejoice in? Who did he take? He took Abel, right? And Cain he rejected. And there's some people that have speculated, well, that's because Abel's the one that brought a blood sacrifice, and that's what God wanted. No, that's not how it went. And we know that from Scripture. Yes, later on, Jesus was represented as the lamb, but they also had grain offerings that they brought to God. They did. It's because of where his heart was. Again, his heart was misplaced. He was coming in unbelief before the Lord to offer sacrifice, whereas Abel was coming in faith. So he's coming in unbelief to the Lord with his sacrifice, meaning he was not prepared, he was not going to give the Lord of his best, and that's what offended the Lord. That's where he did not find righteousness. Abel came in faith and gave his, the, very, the, the, the firstborn, the very prize of his possessions, gave it to the Lord in faith, and of course it was counted to him as righteousness because it was through faith. That's where Cain messed up. So Cain walks in the flesh, presumptuous, right? That's who Cain was, and that's who these guys were like. The next one is Balaam. Balaam is a funny story, isn't it? That you guys mostly know it because the donkey talks to him, right? God trying to stop him even through the donkey. Well, Balaam was a prophet, was going around, and Balak uh, was a king at that time wanting to take out Israel. And so he hired Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam said, no, I can't do that. And he goes, well, I got a good amount of money here for you. He's like, heck yeah, I'll do it for you. <laughs> goes over there, tries to curse Israel. All that comes out of his mouth are blessings. And so he's frustrated, the king's frustrated with him, and so then he decides to tell him, you know what, if you want to get Israel, here's how you do it. You corrupt them, you bring in foreign gods, and then God will turn against them. Wow, that is evil. Telling the king how he can do it, and he did. He sent his daughters over there, his women from his nation, to sway the people, sway the guys, and they did. And they turned against God, they got into idolatry. 27,000 people were killed because of it. Because Balaam did this evil. Balaam's known as being wicked, and he did it all for money, the lust of uncleanliness. He's self-willed. Now, the last one, Korah. If you guys don't know Korah, Korah rejected authority. Korah did not want to go and obey what Moses and Aaron, and God had set them up as the authority, and he didn't want to have anything to do with them and try to rebel against them. So they both set up. God had Moses and Korah there with this incense and said, hey, we'll see who's the one I'm going to choose to be the leader. And then he says, hey, step away, guys. Let Korah have his space. Probably is like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I got the job. And then the ground opens up and swallows him and his people. 
God was very clear, nope, you're not going to do that. You're not going to go against the authority that I've established. So he despised authority. And this is just pointing to who these guys are. They walk in the flesh, they have lust of uncleanliness, and they despise authority. And I find that over in Second Peter, if you want to turn back over there. I love how it just writes it out about these guys. He doesn't actually say all of them, but he talks about it in Second Peter 2.10. And it says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of the uncleanliness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. That's exactly who he just listed here as examples. I th- I'm thankful that Jude gives us stories like that, right? He wants to take us back like this is real people that were like this, and we have real people like that now. This is not something that's just there, and, and maybe you guys will have to go get a, you know, have it an experience with it, but it is there, and it will be there. And we're warned even as the time draws closer, people are going to be lovers of self, which is what we really see these guys being about, right? And we'll have a lot more people like this wanting to give these false um, testimonies and false teachings and just false spirituality. It'll be more and more and more. And maybe you guys have seen it. With YouTube, it definitely helps it spread, doesn't it? There's a lot of people on there that think they're all that. All right, moving on. We've got to rush through this last part. Sorry, guys. So these are spots. Of, he calls them out, and again, he says, these are people that associate with you. Don't, don't think that this is some other church out there that, yeah, they're, they're bad. They've got false doctrine. Right? No, these guys are in your church. They're coming to your love feast. So in, these are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Why do they not have any fear? Because they've been allowed. They've been allowed. I guarantee you, if you, people get called out for what they're doing, if they look anything like 8 through 10, if they get called out, other people are going to know that. There's going to be a fear there. I hope no, I'm not discovered in who I am. No, these guys are sitting there, living it up, all about self, and they have no fear because they have not been addressed. They've not been called out. They've not been told that you, you're so far off. This is who you look like. So they sit there with no fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn, trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is to reserve the blackness of darkness forever. Jude gets serious, doesn't he? He says these people are worthless. They're like a cloud that looks like it's going to bring you a rain, and it doesn't. It's empty. Empty, has nothing in it. They're like these trees that should be full of fruit. In autumn, you had fruit all over the trees. That's when you harvest. And they've been blooming and looking all good, but guess what? There's no fruit to them. There's nothing there. They're raging waves, like there's this big threat, but they're just foaming up to their own shame. They're foaming up to their own shame. It's nothing. They're wandering stars in the sky, just there for a moment. Think about a shooting star you saw. Do you get to go out every night and see it again? Nope. It was just there for a time. And where does it go off into? Darkness. Jude gets very serious about these guys. That's who they are. That's their destiny. Now, Enoch. Again, Jude, he just loves to throw things in there. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in ungodly ways. A lot of ungodly here, isn't there? And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So even Enoch claimed and cried out and said, This is what's going to happen. These guys are not going to get away with it. The saints are going to return. They're going to be accountable for what they've done. You're going to be accountable. That whole part right there in verses 14 and 15, if you guys want to come talk to me about the book of Enoch and all and how people believe that Jude supported it, so therefore we should have it, we can go through that. I'd love to talk to you guys about that. Um, if you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> verses 16 through 19. I'm really trying to rush. I'm sorry to get up to 20 through 23 because I think those are really the main important and what applies to our own lives. So he goes on again to describe them. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. So be watching for them, guys. Jude is telling us right here, keep your eyes open. Don't let them be among you without fear. They will walk, they're going to be there. They were promised they're going to be there. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. 
And he has to say this, all this right here, because we're easily duped into believing that people are okay, that have this kind of heart, that take God's grace in this way. And so he's telling them, this is what you need to look out for because this is that type of person. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived by them. Look for these characteristics. Then he goes on and out, contend for the faith there earnestly. That's how he started out, right? So we're going to go back to that now. How do we contend earnestly for the faith? In verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's the first one. Building yourself up on your most holy faith faith. What that means is that you're trusting in God. We talked about this, I can't remember which day it was. We've had a lot of teaching this last week, but building up that faith is, is God's going to work with things and he's going to test you and he's going to bring you to places where you're going to have to trust in him. You know, and when you have to trust in him on the same issue again, it's pretty easy because you've trusted him the first time, right? I love the analogy. I always go back to it. I'm sorry if you guys have heard it too many times, but Indiana Jones is a great movie, so I'm going to go back there. When he's in the, going after the, the, the um, Holy Grail, there's, he comes to that cavern, right? And he, the, even the saying is you have to have faith to step out there, that step of faith. We well, can't even see what's out there, and he steps out as if death is going to consume him. And he lands on that bridge that's there, right? If you guys notice, when he comes back, does he have to do the whole same process? Because it's very intense in the movie. You know, he's got his foot over there, and it's got the film in different angles, and then he steps out there, and he's good. <coughs> Temple starts crashing around him and everything. How does he come back across it? Does he pause and he's like, okay. He's like running across the thing, right? Why? Because he knows it's there. Same with our faith. God will take us and have us take that step of faith. And the next time you're coming by it or going through it, it's going to be really easy. You know he's going to catch you because he already has. That's why he's going to take you through something else, something else, something else. It keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more crazy. Absolutely more dependent on God. What he's going to take you through, something that's even cra- you know, ludicrous that you'd be like, that's foolish. Why do you want me to do that, Lord? Well, you trust me? Let's go. Standing on that faith, contending for the faith, the gospel, the word that's delivered to us by standing and being built up on that faith. And then the next one, praying. Right? <coughs> Excuse me. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying is a huge deal. And I hope you guys have experienced in your own lives as you feel people praying for you. I've had the privilege of being out, and I know 100% because something happened. I was there, and I was like, Lord, please have people praying for us through this moment. And as I got back and I was able to give testimony of what God done through that, I remember one person came up to me, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was that we were going through at the time, but they said, yeah, this day at about 2 o'clock, I felt so heavy on my heart to pray for you. And I was like, that's exactly when this was going on. Thank you so much. And you get to have that awesome deal where prayer is a big deal, guys. It's not just one of those things we need to cross off the list. Praying is so big, and praying in the Holy Spirit is having that communion with God, that relationship that's always there and remembering to go back to it. Pray always, doesn't he say? Pray always. Always have that communication with him. That's how we contend for the faith. Number three, we keep in God's love. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. And that just means that you're not divorcing yourself from him and going after idols. That's how you get out of God's love. Going after other things that consume you. Other things that are more important than your God. That's how we get out of his love and go after others. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Looking for mercy. Isn't that a good thing to do? Because guess why? You know why looking for mercy is awesome? Because the enemy wants you to know that you're condemned. You're evil. You're wicked. You have no right to be standing before him. You should just shut up and sit there. And if somebody comes in the church, don't cause problems because who are you to cause problems with them? Look at your own life. So I have to go look for mercy. I have to look at Jesus Christ is not giving me what I deserve based on his credit, based on who he is. And because I'm in the mercy of God, now I can contend for the faith. Because it's not about me. It's not a selfish thing. It's because I want God's word to be preserved. I want people to know the true Jesus Christ. Then, having compassion. And I love this one, and I want to focus a little bit here. We do have barely enough time. 
It says, and on some have compassion. This is going to talk about salvation or sharing the gospel, these two things. It gives two examples. It says, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. It's not saying making a distinction between the two. It's saying on that person that is making a distinction. Or also, if your Bible say this, but a person is going through doubting. Okay, they're having a hard time because they're doubting what this truth is about God. Then the next one is, is, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Like, be quick about it. Get them out of there. But others have compassion and work through that doubt that they're having. I think this is so key coming from Jude. Think about Jude's life. Raised with Jesus. We could use the same traditional words. Could you imagine waiting to Jesus, what the parents would be saying all the time? You know, why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> right? I can't imagine having to grow up with Jesus. That would have been rough. Because I would have had this magnifying glass on my life all the time on this difference between my older brother and me. And these guys didn't believe he was the Messiah. You know, he goes and he performs the miracle at the wedding. His brothers are probably like, yeah, I don't know what he had up his sleeve. He probably had some red dye. <laughs> you know, who knows what they're thinking? I mean, they're, they're close on some of these things that Jesus did. Grew up with him. And yet, here he is. This is a guy that has doubt most of his life for his own brother. Understandable. It would be very hard to believe that an older brother was the Messiah. Okay? <laughs> but he comes to that place. He understands after the resurrection, and he understands, wow, this is truly the Messiah. I want to be a bondservant to Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, guys, have compassion on people like this. Have compassion on those that are doubters, that are trying to distinguish in this life what is truth. It's so good to walk with somebody. I was privileged with somebody in this congregation to walk with them, and it took a couple months because of the deception they'd gone through their whole life. It took them a couple months, and I loved walking with them because here is somebody who's so genuine, wanting to know the truth, not just wanting to have an emotional experience, but wanting to know the truth, and it was hard. It was hard, but so much fun because I couldn't wait until they finally understood who Jesus Christ was and his love that he had for them because I knew that person was going to be so on fire for him it would never let him go. Because they worked to get there with him. They struggled. But it was so good to have that compassion on them as they went back and forth on the doubt. And then some of them, guys, snatch them out. Get them out of there. Go rescue them out of that place. Bring them to a place where they can know Jesus Christ. And then he gives glory to God at the very last that we'll close with. And he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, which is great. I'm so happy putting that in there. It's not up to me. Him to keep me from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceedingly joy. To put us there with that joy that's so good. He loves us so much, doesn't he? To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. The worship team wants to come on up. We'll close with this. I love how Jude, he's so focused, he's so intense, isn't he, through the scriptures? He like gives all these examples. He shows you he doesn't let anybody get away with anything here. He encourages us to contend for the faith. He goes through what that looks like on contending the faith, and then how he wraps it up is he focuses completely back on who we need to be focused on. We're not focused on self. This is not a self-help class, is it? We're focused on Jesus Christ and his work through us. And it's so good. That's why he's like, give him the glory, him that was able to keep you from sinning, to, keep, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. It's a joy for him to present us. It was a joy for him to go to the cross, wasn't it? Didn't it say that? We were his joy because of that restoration that was going to come back. So to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore, guys. So good. Lord, we love you so much, and thank you so much for these scriptures you've given us. But I pray that we would be able to contend for the faith. You give us that boldness to do that. And to be tactful in it, Lord, that we would have our words seasoned like salt, full of grace. And uh, we really look to these people. That's the only ones that are going with us. None of this other stuff around us, Lord. Maybe some of the stuff we've gotten consumed with or even distracted by. Lord, I, help, I ask that you get our focus back on those around us, that we would be able to encourage them and uh, walk in compassion with them in their unbelief and their doubts. Lord, that we would be prepared for that. Lord, you walk us through your word, that you equip us like we need to be equipped as your saints. Lord, that we would just be that servant that you've called us to and that joy to you. 
as, as we work for your kingdom. Let's pray we have a great week, Lord, and we would be uh, mindful of this and that you would remind us throughout the week on, on just keeping focused on others around us at work and in the, uh, the family and wherever it needs to be, Lord. And we continue to be praying for those. We just lift this up to you, Lord. Pray all this in your name. Amen.